Bantam Radio. As I mentioned earlier, important new online resources are aimed at tackling extremism and disinformation in the community. They've been launched now here in Western Australia and to join us right now and explain this a little more because it is rather a concerning situation. Dr Ben Rich, extremism expert here at Curtin University. Thank you very much indeed, Ben, for your time. This is um, obviously not too soon because uh, we are seeing it a lot, aren't we? Yeah, the the project really came about as a response to a series of events we saw happening in the world in 2020, 2021 during the COVID lockdowns, um, the uh, end of the Trump presidency and the uprising on January 6th and obviously what was happening over recent places like Melbourne with the uh, anti-lockdown riots where we saw um, far-right provocateurs essentially infiltrating the, the wider protest movement and stoking wider um, conflict. I think the the biggest example of the most concerning one, I think, to a lot of people at the moment are the neo-Nazi groups in Australia. Indeed. I mean, they have really uh, sort of made a comeback, unfortunately, over the past few years. Um, we've seen both Indigenous efforts, and not by, not by Indigenous, but by our, um, traditional owners, but by local um, uh, citizens basically trying to form their own groups, um, as well as... Uh, uh, transnational groups attempting to kind of try and infiltrate Australian society and set up cells um, over here, including in WA. Mm. Being a democratic country, of course, we it is not illegal to have demonstrations, but when they become violent and represent, you know, the most abhorrent thinking uh, from our history, it's really very, very concerning. So just explain to everybody what is actually going to be taking place in the near future. Um, well, we've been I'm seeing a bunch of laws, I think, that are trying to crack down on these issues. Uh, so the anti-Nazi symbol laws that are sort of manifesting all across the country. Um, I have a bit of concern about those because I am uh, something of a free speech absolutist. Uh, I'm half American, so maybe that's sort of draw from that. But I, I think <laughs> that attempts to clamp down on symbols that are seen as anti-social um, that might seem appropriate at a given time can lead the gateway for future efforts based on precedent where those where other symbols might rise up and be seen by certain people to be antisocial that maybe we don't agree with. Um, I think what we really need to be investing in, and this is what our project is on, is about building social uh, resilience against these issues. So, um, you know, at the point in time when you're, you know, banning the swastika, banning the Nazi salute, whatever, you kind of already lost the game. What you need to be doing is um, focusing on building cohesion in society, making sure people aren't feeling alienated so that those types of ideas, those types of ideologies are seen by the people themselves as unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, what tends to happen is when you try and kind of clamp down on these types of issues um, at the, the pointy end, you can often actually reinforce them in the, the people that are already adhering to them um, and create sympathy for those people. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really do get that point, Ben. You're absolutely right. And I guess with technology, internet, that sort of thing, their cause is magnified, isn't it? It gets out to the world and they're seen as heroes wanting to make change to some people. I mean, a lot of people are very vulnerable in life and if they get some strong people spouting, sprouting these sort of thinking about the world and how it should change in a very violent way, they're sometimes led into it, aren't they, through ignorance? Oh, absolutely. I mean, and also, uh, like a feeling of, 
are being left behind. I mean, yeah. I think one of the things that our society is really struggling to contend with is that there are a growing number of people who don't really feel like they have a stake in the continuation of this liberal democratic project that we have you know, invested so much time and energy in. And particularly because of some of the paradoxes in that, you know, we are slowly breaking down our welfare system here in Australia. You know, just look at the uh, reduction in bulk billing. It's kind of a death by a thousand cuts, but you can see that there is a gradual receding of that. When you have younger people growing up in this society, you know, they're looking, they can't buy a house. Um, They're feeling like they're having to compete more and more and more with more and more people. Um, And they're being told, you know, just buck up, just, you know, do what I did a generation ago and, you know, you'll get there. And then they do those things and they're not having the outcomes they predicted. That's when the narratives espoused by, you know, radical groups and extremist groups become much more uh, salient. They they seem to, they offer a different vision. They offer a way of, you know, they offer hope for a lot of people. And as a teacher, I see this all the time, you know, students who are sort of falling into despair, you know, they, they spend all this time, you know, doing the right thing, getting education, um, they're getting to the end of their education, like, what do I do now? And it's such an unclear world and there's so much uncertainty out there, you know, at the macro level, you know, climate change, economic uncertainty, et cetera, that some people will be attracted to these movements. Yeah. Oh, that's fully understandable. And to get the message cro- across, and I'm hoping we do have, um, you know, a great future to look forward to, especially for the younger people, definitely. I mean, how are you going to get this out to people? What's the program involved? Because you're involved with the funding from the US Consulate General in Perth, aren't you? Yes, so we were really lucky. We competed for uh, a national grant scheme of the US consulates. Um, we were in the top five of 60 applicants, so we're really happy with that. Um, and we basically were just working with our partners there around these ideas of, you know, they're obviously reeling from things like January 6th. Uh, and so they, I think, wanted to be really engaged in the sort of preventing violent extremism struggle. Um, so we put together this project. You can find it on uh, curtainsern.com um, under our educational resources tab. And the idea is to just basically give uh, participants in the course um, a, a sort of set of reasonably simple, intuitive tools and knowledge um, for which, which to uh, respond when they're encountering sort of manifestations of extremism, whether that's sort of conspiratorial thinking, whether that's um, sort of white nationalism, whether that's um, things around that insult in the manosphere. How do you respond to that in a productive way that makes the person who is expressing those ideas not feel further alienated and not feel further mm. um, pushed down those kind of rabbit holes? So how do you bring them back into the fold? Because I think that uh, that response to a lot of these issues oftentimes is to try and shut those types of people down, to kind of tell them off. Oftentimes that's going to be really counterproductive. And as far as we're aware, this is the kind of first of its uh, clients in Australia. There's some mental resources out there, but I think a lot of people find those very technical and very stilted. This is designed to be a bit more easy to consume um, and a bit more kind of plugging into what people's skill already are to just kind of empower them further. Mm. Ben, to have this program up and running, um, you're going to have to be able to get into the heads of these people that have started these conspiracies, aren't you? Yeah, well, we have some really fantastic um, young researchers who are particularly uh, 
spend a lot of time, you know, reading things like the manifestos, reading the case studies of these people, uh, reading uh, the biographies of them, and sort of identifying what are the consistent factors in their process of uh, radicalization that we can identify. So what are some of the biographical stories? One of the consistent factors we see is people feeling more and more disengaged from society around them, feeling that society's let them down, feeling that the promises of society um, have, have not born fruit um, and then when they try to reach out to people for support whether that's their family whether that's their um, you know people in their, their workplace whether in their community oftentimes they just are you know talking into a void and oftentimes what that will do is then push them into different spaces to find that sense of community to find that sense of support oftentimes in these online spaces where they are judged far less harshly for their views and oftentimes told their views are totally legitimate um, and here's a community you can be a part of and then here's an agenda that you can you know take okay. part in that sort of give you a sense of control over yourself and your world again and oftentimes unfortunately that can lead to really really negative outcomes if that if left to go on for a long period oh without a doubt i mean everybody wants life to be able to, or what, what the government comes up with, with policy issues and that sort of thing. They want their life to be better. They they want to be able to, like you say, buy a home, you know that they've got a great job to go to because they've done all the right things. And if they're let down at the very start, it's very hard to get their confidence back. 100%. And, and not even just at the start, but at the end. I mean, I think you can see a lot of frustration coming out of people who... Um, you know, for instance, they'll do a degree in something that, you know, is told to them is kind of a safe and secure line of uh, work and then they get to the end and something has changed radically. You know, maybe AI has made that job redundant or maybe, you know, a change in immigration policy means they're suddenly competing with, you know, 10 times as many people as they were before. Mm. Um, And that's going to cause a lot of consternation and frustration in those people. You know, if you're sort of trying to build a life based on what society is telling you are the right things to do and you do all those things, you're going to start to question a lot of the other sort of foundational myths that society tells you after that. I'm trying to think back, you know, when we were that that age. I mean, you're not much older than your students, I don't think, Ben, but we certainly went through quite a few decades of we knew what we were going to do and it just happened. If we lost a job, we applied for and interviewed enough for another one and we moved on. Life was very uncomplicated. We all know that. But today, do you think the whole world is completely different? I mean, we really have to adapt to that, don't we? Yeah, well, I mean, I think you just look at the data around. Um, I had a colleague in uh, our history department who did a lot of work on this stuff, um, and you know, she found that the, the typical expectation now for um, uh, sort of a, a Gen Z are is that they're going to hold somewhere between fifteen and twenty jobs in their lifetime. Now, if we think about the importance of career in the past, of a stable career, of a steady career upwards, of planning your life, of doing things like again buying a home, yeah. having children, uh, pursuing your passions. Um, that was often predicated on the idea that we are going to have like a relatively predictable career um, and a job trajectory. And now what we're telling um, young people is uh, you need to be thinking about, you know, like reapplying constantly about having 20 side hustles and just the amount of scattered identity that creates, I think creates a lot of anxiety. Um, and I think there's no coincidence that we're seeing you know, this rise of, you know, anxiety disorders, um, neurodivergence in this environment, these environmental inputs. And so within that, people are really looking for clear, accessible 
narratives, that create a sort of coherency to the world that has been lost. Yeah. And when you look at things like the manosphere, you think about influence like Andrew Tate, you know, who basically says the world is black and white. Here are the rules to play by. Yes, your grievances are legitimate. Um, and I'm going to give you the secret for success. Mm. That's a very powerful message in that wider uh, confusion that we're all experiencing and particularly the youth are experiencing. Oh look without a doubt I mean what we saw at the Capitol in America over in Washington you know during that riot, those riots over there to even look at that you know, as an act of anarchy I mean by that many people and how destructive it was we couldn't even imagine it happening here in Canberra I mean it just doesn't even cross our mind could it ever get to that point? Well, I think, you know, if you'd asked people 10 years ago in America if they couldn't happen there, um, I think, you know, they probably would have said the same thing. I think the yeah. scary thing about the moment we're currently living in is how quickly uh, conditions can change um, and how a lot of the kind of uh, sources of stability uh, that we sort of grew up thinking were forever um, can be washed away in a relatively short amount of time with the right with the right kind of people stepping into place. And so, again, what our project is about is about trying to make it so our society are more resilient to those types of ideologues, those types of ideas in a preventative sense rather than responding to them once they've happened. Oh, look, that's wonderful prevention, definitely. Now, is this going to be open to the public to access this information? It's completely open. Um, this was one of our sort of key um, elements that we uh, sort of had at the forefront of the project. We don't want to charge any money for any of this. This is completely open to the public. Um, and the idea is we want to get this spread as far and wide as possible. Okay. And the website again? Yep. It's uh, Curtin, as in the University CERN, uh, C-E-R-N. So curtainsearn, one word, dot com. And then if you just go to our education resources tab, what you'll find are five of the podcast episodes, um, a package of slides that can be used to both learn and also if someone wants to try and take this into a classroom and kind of repurpose it for their own education, uh, teaching others, it's right there, as well as an extended uh, annotated reading list um, for people who want to do a bit more of a deep dive. And all of it's open access uh, and open source. And just finally, Ben, uh, this is currently running and how long for, do you think? Just infinitum? Um, well, hopefully, as long as the website's up. <laughs> um, and our, our goal is to basically take um, this and further develop it, particularly if, uh, if there are particular groups, um, businesses, uh, departments out there who are interested. We are really interested to work further um, and to refine it for their specific needs. Um, the package has already been put together with uh, consultation with a number of government uh, departments, both locally and federally. Um, so there is a kind of basis in the, the concerns of, of the public already, but we, we are more than happy to um, mm, have interesting. discussions about that. Sorry, um, one more thing. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned the public giving your, their concerns to you, uh, to your group. Is that is that a possibility, what people are afraid of? I mean, this anxiety and, you know, feeling afraid of the future is a horrible thing to live with. Yeah, well, definitely. I mean, an example of this would be one of our episodes are on um, the manosphere and incels. Um, so these are a series of online, largely um, sort of hyper-masculine or misogynistic groups. Um, and the reason we decided to focus on that was because we've gotten some feedback working with in particular Department of Education where they were seeing a number of particularly young men 
um, manifesting these ideas in the classroom and that we're really struggling with how to respond to them in an effective way. So that was kind of guided by that uh, advice. Okay. And they can give that opinion on the website, can they? Uh, They can email directly through the contact point. Okay, which I don't think we have at the moment. Can I put you back to Joe? And if you could, you could leave that with our with our Joe, our producer today. Would that be okay? Uh, the, the contact point is just on the website next to the educational oh. resources tab. <laughs> okay, well that, that's even easier. Good on you, yeah. Ben. That was really interesting. Thank you so much indeed. Take care. Thank you. Thank you.